0: to be here. Are you maintaining your social distances? More or less, they say don't touch your face. That's hard to do, isn't it? The moment someone says don't touch your face, my face starts itching. How, how are you supposed to deal with that tickle on your face if you can't, if you can't touch your face? Hey, remember, today at 5 o'clock is our annual business meeting. I'll try to make it the shortest business meeting in the history of business meetings. Um, so we'll just jump in here, take care of business real quick. Uh, in fact, I don't know how you guys feel about this. You can think about it. Uh, one of the most time-consuming things is when we go with the financial report, I usually go line by line and explain everything. And if you don't need that, I can just hand you the report, and you can take it and uh, go home if you have any questions. <laughs> You can send those in. It's up to you. I'd be happy to go with you. And we've got one uh, position on the deacon board we'll be voting on. So that's at 5 o'clock. And I'll do my best to get you in and out real quick. And they all said, you're not coming anyway, are you? Try, Try to come if you can. You love the Lord? Amen. I'm starting a new series today. You see it? See the new series? uh talking about becoming undeceivable i know I, I preached a series back in 2017 about being undeceivable and the only thing i borrowed from that series is the title i wanted to bring that title back but i want to take this whole uh series from the book of matthew the book of matthew and it, can you imagine this in some of these sci-fi movies they have this where you're standing in a room and you, and everything is sort of slipping by and you're grabbing this and pushing this and reading this and that, did any of you ever see those things I'd like you to imagine for a moment that that's the the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, What happened is several weeks ago I was trying to get some exercise. I was walking in the gym, just circles around the gym. I had my iPhone in my pocket and an earbud in, and I was listening to the Gospel of Matthew. And I kind of got that feeling that I was kind of walking, and and the Gospel of Matthew was up there. I could look here. I could look there. I could look there. And I began to realize what an amazing story is being told, 28 chapters This amazing story is being told, and uh, I don't don't know know how this would go over very well, but as I got to the end of Matthew for the first time and got ready to go to the second time, it occurred to me that if the Gospel of Matthew was not called the Gospel of Matthew, another name might be appropriate. What is that name? Surrounded by Idiots. Surrounded by idiots. As, as you walk through the Gospel of Matthew, it's like no one gets it. Jesus is trying to tell them things and they just don't get it. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and the Jews, they're totally blind to what Jesus is doing and the plan of God in Jesus and half the time, even his disciples don't get it. And you get the feeling, is, if you'll whip through there real quickly, that Jesus is surrounded by idiots. Like, you guys not understand. Of course, we have the opportunity. We look back after the cross, and it makes sense to us. But at that time, they were all lost in it. But I was trucking through the Gospel of Matthew and, and was listening to it and being rich by it. And then he got to chapter 24. Now, there's, chapter, there's 28 chapters, right? How many chapters are there? I was in chapter 24. What chapter was I in? Just making sure you're trucking with me. And when I got to Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus said something that just sort of stopped me cold. He said, The very elect will be deceived if that were possible. The very elect will be deceived if that were possible. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. Now, some of you may be alarmed by that. I'm encouraged by that because he is revealing that it can and should be impossible to deceive God's people. I'm going to say that again, and you jump in with an amen at the end of it, okay? It can and should be impossible to deceive God's people. Great, great. don't want the people watching this by video to think I'm in here by myself, like some pastors are today. The weight of this passage, let it set in for a moment, that it can and must be impossible to be deceived. In fact, the Bible says just a little bit before that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus said it's going to get very difficult, and most people are not going to hold out. Their love is going to wax cold. But those who endure into the end shall be saved. And so let's change the name of this, the new name for the Gospel of Matthew. Instead of surrounded by idiots, let's call it surrounded by the deceived. They are surrounded, he is surrounded by those who are deceived. You see, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is dealing with people who don't know truth. There is something that's happened in the course of going from the Old Testament to the New Testament that the people who clung to the very Word of God in the Old Testament have become deceived and they don't know the truth. And if you look at it, even the very temptation in chapter 3 is Satan trying to deceive Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. In other words, in the fast, before God the Father is ready for you to end the fast. Cast yourself down. He said, I want you to tempt the Lord your God. Fall down and worship me. That's idolatry. And so it is all about trying to deceive Jesus so he will join the masses of deceived people. But we know that didn't work. So... I want to submit to you in this series, Lord only knows how long this series will go, you know, I'm still working on it, Um, I want to give you two of life's most important questions, and I pray to God I will answer those two questions. The first one is, what does deception look like? And then what does undeceivable look like? Those are the two questions. This whole series is going to be re- revolve around answering those two questions. Are you excited? What does deception look like and, and what does undeceivability look like? What does it look like when someone is absolutely undeceivable? Now today is going to be one of those wonderful days when we talk about them. Don't you love to talk about them Because, see, you don't want a sermon to you. That could make you feel bad. That could get you you all stirred up. So we're going to talk about them, those other people. But they will show us what deception looks like. And the reason I think we are told what deception looks like is the Lord wants us to say, stay away from that. You don't want any part of deception. So I want to begin today talking about what deception looks like. The first point is the first thing deception looks like. Opinions are elevated over God's truth. Opinions are elevated over God's truth. Say amen. Opinions are elevated over... That's the first step of deception when opinions are elevated over God's truth. Matthew chapter 15 verse 5 and 6 says, You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. The Jews did that all over the place. Listen. Are you listening? Wanting something to be true is not the same thing as it being true. And if you want it to be true, you've got to be careful or you will twist truth until you think it is true. When you want something to be true, you try to find a way to make it true. That's when we become very susceptible to being deceived. No, wait a minute. That's when they become uh, susceptible. I didn't know this. Uh, just kind of when my when my brain needs a little bit of a break. I, I really have become a big YouTuber. You know, what YouTuber is. Any of you YouTubers? And I have probably watched every video I can find that has anything to do with the most recent Super Bowl. I have watched every highlight. I have watched, And sometimes when I'm just kind of tired, I'll just click it on and watch them again just to remind myself of how good they feel. Here's something I didn't know. I didn't know until I became an avid YouTuber that San Francisco feels robbed. Did you know that? They are saying that the referees fixed it for the Chiefs. And they use an example, that pass interference at the end of the first half, you know, where the guy shoved, and they say, and and I've watched that play, and I've watched that play, and I thought, it is pass interference. But you know what? They want it to be true. And so for them, it is true. We know it's a lie out of the pit of hell. But they want it to be true. They don't want to think that they just got beat. They want to think that they got cheated out and, and they were a victim of a cheat scheme instead of they just got mahomed. <laughs> You've got to be careful what you want to be true. You know, I didn't sit around one day and say, you should only have sex with a person that you're married to. God said that. But I get in trouble all the time for saying it. And I say, like, wait a minute. You may want it to be true that if you're in a committed relationship, you can have sex, but you can want that all day long, but it is still sin in God. See? I, I didn't just wake up one day and say, you know, I think those people who are attracted to the same gender... I think I'll condemn it. God said it and and you get in trouble. Because when you want something to be true, you're vulnerable to deception because you start twisting what is true until it adapts to a lie. And then you are deceived. The Jews mixed their wants with the word of Jehovah God and wound up with this huge lie that they could not get over. Did you hear what I just said? They wound up with this huge lie that Messiah that they've been waiting for for 400 years is standing in front of them, but he doesn't fit with the mixture they have, the deception they have, so they can't see him. Hello? Watch this in Matthew chapter 9. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the wine will run out of the wineskins. And the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now, Jesus said that in the context of debating with the Jews about religious traditions. Why do your disciples not fast? We all fast. And he said, Don't worry about that. And he goes on and explains why they're not fasting. And then he says, you can't sew unshrunk cloth onto shrunk cloth. And you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Because when you do and the wine ferments, it will bust the wineskin and all your wine will pour out. What he's saying is you cannot contain what God is doing in your tradition. You've got to let God give you a new tradition so that you can expand with God's creativity. I'm not making any sense. You need some stories, don't you? (laughs) I have a theory. (laughs) Theory is that if you are a serious student of the Word of God, and you're really serious, you want to know the Word of God, there will come a time... When God will challenge your tradition in contrast to the Word of God, and you will be at a pivotal point in your life, does the Bible really say what I say it says? Or is are those just my interpretation based on my tradition? I remember sitting in a classroom in Springfield, Missouri, and I was having such a a war inside of me because what I had believed for all of my life was being challenged and it didn't fit with what I was learning, and I, I it was having this crisis where do I go with this? And sometimes you have to admit that your tradition is not biblical truth, it's a conviction. I showed up in Springfield, Missouri. Red hot, born again, Holy Ghost filled, fire breathing, whatever else you want to call me. And I had all these convictions. And I believed if you opened a Bible and that Bible didn't say thee and thou, you weren't reading the word of God. So I was in a classroom one day and I was defending the Bible, the word of God. And the professor looked at me and he said, Mr. Davidson, I like the way they call you by your last name in college, Mr. Davidson, the church was around for 1600 years before the King James was translated by King James of England. That's not St. James, that's King James of England, who probably wasn't even a believer as biblically speaking. But what did the church use for the word of God for the first 1600 years? Well, he said, Did you, do you know that the King James Bible is actually the ninth English translation? And there wasn't even an English language back when the Bible was being written. He said, Mr. Davidson, if you want to read the word of God in its pure form, my brother, you're going to have to learn Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. If you want to read the Word of God, you got to find a good translation of Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. A good translation. I went the path of, of studying languages, but most can't do that. you got to have, and so I had a crisis of faith. And I, I've got friends right now who are pretty sure I'm going to hell because I have a different version of the Bible, than they, a different translation. But to me, I don't know if you notice this, sometimes when you look at your sermon notes, I have actually gone to the original language and translated it into English because I felt like I I can't find the one that truly communicates this Greek word in this. The word of God was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. I need a good translation of that if I'm going to read the word of God. Wow. You guys okay? I was being shaken. And then there was the first Assemblies of God church that I pastored. And man. That was a bunch of worldly people. I grew up in the holiness movement where they were holy. You know, and and I'll never forget this. I'm, I'm illustrating my point is tradition will collide with biblical truth at some point in your life. I grew up being taught that, and this is going to make some of you women uncomfortable, if you're a woman and you're in church and you're not wearing a dress You are committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Ooh, you girls in trouble, aren't you? I believed it to the core. That's the way I was taught. It's part of the way that things should be. And so I remember I was pastoring my first AG church right out of college, and and the women weren't wearing dresses to church. They were wearing whatever, you know, and I'm thinking, man, these worldly AG women, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I remember the the straw that broke the camel's back one Wednesday night. One of my teachers came walking in wearing shorts. If I'd had dentures, I would have swallowed them. I thought, my God, look, one of our teachers is a Jezebel. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I'm locking and I'm loading and I'm getting ready to go to war. I tried to kind of nudge these ladies, be more reverent, but they weren't listening. They were dug in. They were defiant. They were in rebellion. I remember one Monday morning I got up and I knew the battle lines were being drawn and this was going to be a problem. But dear God, I was going to stand my ground and I was going to teach those Jezebels about reverence for God. And I don't know why this was, but I remember Monday morning, and normally I take Mondays off and recoup from, from Sundays, but I got up and I went to the church. I didn't even turn a light on. I walked into a dark sanctuary and I went forward and dropped to my knees. And I was beginning to prepare. God, I need strength, I need wisdom, I need you to do something about these women. You know, I'm just and it's as clearly as the Holy Spirit has ever spoken to me, he said do you think I care about this? And I mumbled, well, I do. Do you think I care about this? And it's like he said, son, don't ever hurt my church for something I don't care about. My tradition had to come peeling off of me. The Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees could not make that. I don't know what that means to you. You probably think I'm silly for having those kind of convictions. But you could believe something so strongly. And when you really explore it, you don't have any biblical basis for it. When you really get down to the foundation of why you believe it, there's really no biblical basis. And there is your crisis. Amen? I want to tell you something, and I really need you to understand, this is a problem with them, not us. (laughs) When anything is placed at the level of Scripture, the foundation for deception has been laid. When anything Is placed at the level of Scripture. The foundation for deception has been laid. At that moment, when you elevate anything, I see some people passing around things. Well, the old hymns, they had a special anointing on them. I go, no, they didn't. The only thing that's got a special anointing on it is the Word of God. Don't put anything on that same shelf the Word of God is on. The Word of God is the Word of God. Everything else... It's something that people created, perhaps it assists in worship, but it is not the infallible message of God. And they all said, Amen. Jesus was in constant conflict with people over this thing right here. They guarded their opinions to the point of dying for lies instead of dying for truth. And if you hold your convictions, hold on to them. There's some convictions I have that you don't have, and that's fine. But if they are non-biblical convictions, put them in one category. Don't put them over here with biblical truth. If you believe something is wrong and you can't prove it biblically, just set it over there and say, this is for me. This is for me. It helps me. It, it guards me. It guides me. But this is, doesn't apply to you necessarily. This is for me. Don't try to push that on someone else. And they all said, number two, outward appearance be, before, comes before inner reality. Outward appearance comes before inner reality. So they were deceived and then their deception, their real concern was what was going on on the outside. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, Be careful that you do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Man, that's exactly what they were doing. We're going to do an exercise now. Are you ready? Yes, all right? There's the exercise. You repeat after me. Ready? I'll say it and then you say it. I don't care what people think. Now, you just lied. Exercise of lying. You do care what people think. We all care what people think. You like my haircut? I care whether you like my haircut or not. Not a whole lot. But I do care. I do. If somebody said, man, that's a dorky looking haircut, I'd be like, you know. I care. I care what you think. If you, if you walk out of here saying, man, pastor really struggled today. That sermon, just I couldn't stay awake for it. Would, it would hurt my feelings. You know, I care what you think and you care what I think. You're kidding yourself. We all care what each other thinks. The problem is, is when I become obsessed with what you think. The problem is, is what, when I think what you think is what I have to live my life by. When my goal in life is to shape what you think. See, that's, that's when deception begins to find its way into our lives. Look what he says in Matthew 23, 2 and 7. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Everything they do, they do is done to be seen of men. Look at verse 6. They love. I underlined that last night in my notes. They love. They love the place of honor and banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have people call them rabbi. rabbi. They love it. They love the outer stuff. They love, they decorate themselves and their lives. They love it. That's when deception. Because you see, we become undeceivable in the areas of our life that cannot be seen. And those are the areas we need to pay the most attention to. But when we are deceived, it's when we get worried about what can be be seen so much. Would you like to hear a story? (laughs) Some years ago in a faraway land, people you don't know will never know, I uh, I was pastoring this young lady who um, always wanted to sing a special in church. And it was one of those ladies who really should not be singing in public. You know, it, it, that was my humble opinion. And uh, she was always going to the person who scheduled the and saying, I want to sing, I want to sing, I want to sing. So um, at that time I said, well, just to kind of keep the peace, schedule her for Sunday nights. We have a Sunday night service. You know, it's not a big a crowd. Maybe we'll get away with a little bit more if, if you had bad singing on Sunday night, you know. So just to kind of keep the peace, I so she called again. The lady said to her, Yeah, we'll have you sing Sunday night. And she said, No, I don't sing on Sunday night. What? I don't sing on Sunday night. That's when I get involved. I said, I hear you don't sing on Sunday night. No, I don't, I don't sing on Sunday night. I, I sing on Sunday morning. I want to sing Sunday morning. I said, Do you not see a problem with this? If the only time you will sing is when the crowds are biggest, and the lights are brightest, you're not singing for Jesus. Do you not see a problem with that? Say, listen, human praise can become addictive. Needing to be praised can become addictive. And when it does, there is a danger at that because we become ripe for being deceived. Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead, men bone, dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to, to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is saying, really, guys, you need to look at what's going on inside of you and quit being so worried about what people see on the outside of you. You need to be worried about what Jesus sees when he looks at you and and, and not what the world is impressed or not impressed. That should be our, our main focus. Amen? The people cannot see what's on the inside of us. When we take care of the inside of us, we're doing that out of a devotion to God, Him, number three, real quickly, money captures the heart. The Pharisees lost their hearts to greed. Matthew 23 again. Woe to you, teachers of the law. (laughs) That's That's the weird thing, isn't it? Teachers of the law. These people who are teaching people the word of God. Woe to you, teachers, law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites, which simply means you actors. You clean the the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of what? Greed and self-indulgence. He goes on, or a little before that, he says this, woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold... Anyone swears by the gold, there's where the heart is of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You fools, which is greater the gold of the temple that makes it sacred? He said, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the people called and employed to teach the word of God had lost their heart to money. Money had taken them and even made them where holy things were not as sacred to them as money. It wasn't the temple of God that was holy. It was the gold in the temple that was holy. Listen, money is a gift from God. And they all said, whoa. (laughs) Money is a gift from God. I got about three of you. Money is a gift from God. But whenever the gift gets more love and devotion than the one who gave the gift, we're getting in trouble spiritually. Amen? They're getting in trouble spiritually, not us. They're getting in trouble spiritually. When we begin to look at it like, wow, that's a lot of money, instead of seeing, listen, God is the giver of these things. He is the one really to be praised. He's the one really to be... Devoted to and worshipped. We should not be doing this for at the money. I have another interpretation here that is kind of untraditional. Uh, Matthew eight thirty four, The whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Well, some wondered why that was. There were these demon-possessed men living in the cemetery, full of the devil. Jesus comes to them and drives the demons out. There's a whole legion of demons. They leave the demoniac, and they run, and they get into the pigs. The pigs run down the hill, go into the river, and drown. We had deviled ham that night. No, 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 no. It's a way old, overused Jesus. Here's my theory. I can't prove it. You can't prove it. I think they were upset at Jesus because they lost their pigs. They lost their pigs. You've got people here who have been delivered from demon possession, but they lost their pigs. Please leave it. We can't afford to lose any more pigs. Go on out of here. If you're going to be sending demons into pigs, we can't have you in our area. Are you with me? When the herd of pigs is worth more than the presence of Jesus, we get in trouble. You will never really know how valuable God is to you until God God starts costing you money. You will never know how much he means to you until what he means to you is a financial burden or sacrifice. That's when you will know. Let me get the last passage in and then we'll see where we can go with this. While Jesus was in Bethany, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head. As he was reclining at the table, when the Jews saw this, they were indignant. Underline, if you've got a pen, these next few words, why this waste? Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a, underline the next two words, a beautiful thing to me. Now look at what you've underlined. Why this waste? It was a beautiful thing. In the eyes of the disciples, this perfume poured over Jesus' head was a waste. Yeah. To Jesus, it was beautiful. Why in the world would you do that? Jesus said, it was it was beautiful. You see, with money, we have a definite number. Here is what something is worth. And because we have that monetary scale that we determine value with, we tend to take that and try to bring it over into the spiritual realm, and it doesn't fit over here. There are things that are beyond the scope of monetary value. Amen? They're beyond the scope of, of monetary value. You can't put a price priceless. So the woman is pouring this very expensive perfume over Jesus. Jesus said, "This is priceless." The disciples said, "Man, what a waste." Two different perspectives. And we'll get into that when we talk about being undeceivable, because I know people, you know, they get weird when you start talking about money but the Bible talks about money everywhere, Uh, money is going to make a run at you. Money is going to make a grab for your heart. Money is going to make a run for the throne of your life. And if you place, let me say this, if they place more value on money than on God, they're going to wind up living in deception. Because, see, in order for the deception to take place, money, greed, has to get a hold of the heart. Sometimes, when you are working for God, money principles make no sense. Because it has just left the realm of sense. spelled another way, you know. Some of you will think, if you know me, and you've maybe been in some of my finance classes and stuff, you know that this, this is totally out of character for me whatsoever. I'm one of those people that believes you should be disciplined financially, you should have an emergency fund, you should do this, you should do this, you shouldn't just get some money and go blow it as fast as you can, that the responsible thing for a believer to do is make sure his family is taken care of. I believe that all day long. But I remember for three years, I took out loans and paid rent and bought groceries and paid utilities. Took out loans because I was studying for the ministry and I knew you couldn't put a price on it, and it was the only way I could get where I felt like God wanted me to get to. Sometimes people would say, What are you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm thinking God has a call on my life, and I can't afford this tuition, and I can't afford this rent. And somehow or another, we wound up with three kids before I got through college. I don't know what my wife was thinking. It, it, was, it, it defied all logic, but I go, this doesn't make sense. I don't recommend this to anybody in the natural realm, but all the time. In the spirit realm, God is doing things that do, that just do not make sense. This was devastating. Matthew 26, you see, and, and there's especially if you cross-references, but I said that I wouldn't, if you cross-references, you'll see. Immediately following this, Judas went out and betrayed Jesus. He could not fathom. A lady... Poured about 30 something thousand dollars worth of perfume over Jesus. It ran down his body, went on the floor. It was a waste, and they could not handle that. It broke the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. It broke Judas down. He was already a rascal, but that finished him off. Why are they deceived? Why are they deceived? Because money had stolen their heart. They said the right stuff. Some of them walked around with prayers taped to their forehead. Literally, prayers taped to their forehead. They had all kinds of stuff on their garments on the law of Moses. I mean, they they were literally adorned with religiosity. But under all the garb, there was a heart that loved money more than God. And that laid the foundation for deception. What, what do they look like? What do those people look like? They look like people who believe their opinions over the word of God. They look like people who are more concerned about what people see on the outside than what God sees on the inside. And they look like people who, in spite of all their religiosity, they serve money. That's what they look like. Now, there's three other things they look like, which I'll share with you. But here is where Jesus is moving among the deceived. They look like idiots, but they're really just deceived. And they can't get their mind around it, but... Once in a while, someone has a breakthrough. A ruler of the temple will come to Jesus and say, Lord, but it's only in times of complete desperation when their religiosity had failed them and they needed God to be God. Then they had a chance to have a breakthrough and see God for who he is. Jesus said the very elect will be deceived if that were possible. But it's not going to be, is it? It's not going to be possible. Because today I'm praying that there will be a firewall built that they am I getting weird or weirder? Could you possibly join me in declaring God's truth is the truth? And no matter what my culture says, and no matter what my world says, and even no matter what my heart says, God's word will be God's word to me. I won't adjust it. I won't adapt it. I won't change it. God's word will be true. And I will cling to God's word as truth. And man, I want to do my best to make sure that your opinion doesn't become more important than God's opinion of me. I'd love for you to say, "Well done, love you," all that kind of stuff. But I can I can live without that. But boy, I can't live without God's favor. God's got to say, "Jeff, thumbs up, good job, you're faithful." I've got to have that, Amen. I've got to have that. Money can do a lot of stuff. It can give me a, a lot of pleasure. There's a lot of stuff I could enjoy buying. So money will make a run from my heart. And it's up to me to close and lock that door and say, money can't have my heart. It's a tool I'll use. It's something I will leverage, but it will not take my heart. That's going to be a tough one, folks. It's gonna be a tough one, but you can do it. Stand with me, please. Today we take the first step of achieving that last little clause of Matthew twenty-four, twenty-four the very elect will be deceived if that were possible. It's not going to be. It's not going to be possible. So let's just check ourselves today. Father, I do not want it to be possible for any lie cooked up by Satan or his minions Lord, I I praise you that you will give us wisdom. You'll give us knowledge. You'll give us light. But Lord, if our hearts have begun to incline in any way toward believing what is untrue, I ask you today, use this message. Use this message to snap us back. Help us, Lord, not to become susceptible to the lie that our opinion is better than your word, to the lie that what people think is best, and to the lie that money can give us everything we want. Help us, Lord, guard against those lies so we can become those who are truly undeceivable. Lord I would ask you that you would uh, touch any heart Lord there may be people here today who do not know you as Savior as Lord I ask you to give them the faith now to not be deceived but to know that you are the Lord of glory to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and to know that you died for every one of their sins Lord As they believe and confess, they're being saved according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. I won't uh, jam up the doorway today like I usually do. I will uh, let you slide out and uh, stay tuned. I'll be dropping videos every once in a while, kind of giving you my insight on this crisis we're in. So if you're not, get on Facebook and keep up with us. We'll see you next week. We'll finish describing what they look like. Amen. God bless you.